Hello and welcome to the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast, where we are casting gods out, broadcasting our doubt, and casting about for answers to difficult problems. Uh, today we have a treat for you, I hope. Um, it's a continuation of our discussion that we had with John Horgan that had to do with the work of Napoleon Chagnon and uh, related problems that we see between the anthropology world and the atheist skeptic world. Razib Khan is a prolific blogger over at Discover Blogs under the name Gene Expression, uh, a geneticist by trade, and a polymath in his heart of hearts. His mind percolates with all manner of thoughts. He's probably the only person that I know that would see the treaties by Aristotle, for instance, uh, and just think, I just can't wait to dive right in and someday reference this in some obscure podcast in Oklahoma. With that description, I hope you will enjoy today's podcast. I don't know if you knew, uh, we talked to John Horgan last week about his, his role in the uh, Shagnon affair and uh, how he got this pushback from uh, Daniel Dennett and, well, mostly Daniel Dennett, but also Richard Dawkins and Steven Pinker and a couple others. Uh, I'm sure you're f- familiar with what happened there because, you, you know, he was reviewing, uh, is it, Chaz, help me out. Dark, uh, darkness. darkness in El Dorado. Yes, Darkness in El Dorado. We thought that was really curious that, you know, that all these luminaries would, would uh, get on his case over a book review. So we talked to him about that for a while, and that opened up this whole, um, what you've been writing about, this whole divide within anthropology as a field. Yeah. So so basically, we were hoping to talk to you a bit more ab- about that and to get some balance because, you know, John's a self-confessed hippie. He's practically one of those uh, anthropologists of peace, as they say. Yeah, well, I mean, the issue is I don't really disagree that much in the facts with John. I don't, I mean, I'm not, I don't consider myself a hippie. I, I do consider myself conservative. Um, I just finished his book and I, I found it persuasive in a lot of ways. There are some details that I would disagree with, but um, I don't really know if it's a difference of substance as much as style. Um, did you read, I mean, so did you read my um, series of posts about anthropology in the Shagnon book? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So Shagnon's substance, his empirical substance, I'm pretty skeptical of, right? And I'm a scientist, so that's okay. Being wrong is okay. I, I don't hold that against him. Um, the issue that I have with the whole anthropology thing is there's a lot of personal animus and uh, just like backstabbing, which is normal in science, but it just goes crazy um, in anthropology, partly because they like to call everybody a racist and a Nazi who disagrees with them. Wow. So, I mean, that's obviously, I mean, he's been called a Nazi, right? He's been, call, he's been called yeah. a Mengele. Okay. Mm-hmm. But what would you What would you do What would you do if you were called a Mangala, right? I mean, yeah. like, I don't know. I mean, it depends on what your attitude toward pacifism uh, is. But I would like, totally keep my temper in check, of course. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's that's what I'm saying. So, like, I don't like that crap. I don't care if he's right or wrong, but you disagree with him being right or wrong. Now, there are, were some serious allegations in that book, but from what I can tell, it was mostly overblown. There are serious allegations there that are probably true. Unfortunately, reality is. If you're any anthropologist, I think that's going to be true because you are putting yourself in a situation where you're going to change that situation, okay? So I don't think anybody, like everyone's living in glass houses here, and that's what I objected to, but Shagnon had a particular methodological difference, and he was being picked on because of that, and all this politics was, 
I mean, this is this is science in general. The main issue is, you know, like I come out of I come out of genetics, evolutionary genetics. Okay, I have a lot of different interests, and I've always been interested in anthropology. Thought I I, I thought I would major possibly in anthropology in college, and I was pers- dissuaded from it partly by a, a an academic advisor, a faculty advisor, when I explained my interest in various biological and evolutionary issues, and they were just very cold, and they said probably not a right fit. A couple of years later, I found out from somebody that this was actually a common uh, tack they took with new students because within that department, there were some people that were culturally oriented who didn't want my type of students. Okay, so that's what it is. You know, I'm happy with my life and my intellectual interests, but I've always been interested in cultural anthropology as a generic topic. What I really object to is what it's become in America, in particular. It's a little different other parts of the world, but um, there are some cultural anthropologists that I love. I love, I love their science. I love their scholarship. You know, that, you know, I mean, I could name them, but they're, they're a minority. They're not what you think of when you typically think of anthropology. And I encounter a lot of young people, and one of the issues is if you have an anthropology background, you're basically brainwashed, in my opinion, into crap. I mean, they don't know facts. They just know all this post-structuralist crap, and they know how to accuse white people of being racist and bigots. So, I mean, basically, in any given argument, they can figure out an ad hominem where they are on the side of the oppressed, no matter how white or privileged they are, which they are a lot of the time. I'm not going to get into it, but go look at the at the anthropology meeting and look at how many white people there are there. That, then go look at an engineering meeting in the United States, look at how many Asians there are there, right? So are anthropologists racist? I don't think so. I just think Asians aren't interested in anthropology, but that's the attitude I take. I don't immediately look at a statistical difference and start pointing fingers, but they would. I know if the situation was reversed, they would. You know, that's just how they are. So I'm not going to, like, pull any punches. I've been pretty brutal online. And let me tell you, I get emails from a lot of biologists who, I mean, also social scientists. And a lot of anthropology students that are undergrads or thinking about grad school, they appreciate what I said, partly because I've had a lot of fire thrown away. But I'm not an anthropologist. So it doesn't matter. So I'm not jeopardizing my career. The biologists <laughs> in particular, they think it's funny. Because um, I'll give you an example. I had a prominent evolutionary geneticist email me after my initial series of posts. And he's basically like, you know, I know what you're saying. There's this chapter about this method that I developed. Wait, this is a guy, when he's faced with a confusing situation, he invents a statistic. Okay? He doesn't use statistics. He invents statistics when he needs them. That's how yeah. smart he is. Yeah. Okay? So that's how smart he is. So he's like, you know, I can't understand what they're saying about my method in the chapter. They're basically saying it's oppressive. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what the method is, so then you can identify it. You know, somebody can identify yeah, yeah, yeah. it. I don't want to. But he wanted to be like a background about it. So I went and read the chapter, and I you know, like, I have no idea what they're saying. Like, I, ha- I literally have no idea what they're saying. Now, when I read his stuff, where, like, his papers have huge supplementary, you know, like, mathematical, it's hard. I spend weeks at it, but I can grind my way through it, Right. I'm not going to be able to figure out what they just said. I mean, I, you know, it's the general gist. It's oppressive. There's social constructions, blah, blah, blah. A lot of jargon. I know it makes sense to them. It doesn't make sense to anybody else, okay? So that's why I always call them, like, they're like Talmudic rabbis. Like, they have this huge system in their own head. And, of course, they yeah. accuse me of being an anti-Semite when I said that. And I don't think it's anti-Semitic <laughs> to say that, like, you know, like, I don't give a crap if there are no rabbis left in the world. I don't really, you know what I'm saying? I don't care. I don't care about the Jewish religion. I don't have any problem with Jewish it's people, but anyway. I don't really care about our religion. Yeah, we're all yeah, atheists so I, here. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I'm just saying, like, that's where I'm coming from. That's where I'm coming from. I'm an atheist, so I mean, like, you know, of course, like, I don't really care. I don't put any particular value in a rabbi. So when I think of like all the smart Jews that were rabbis, I think of that as a waste of intellect. Okay, Massive. they should have been 
They should have been physicists, or they should have done other things with their life. That's what I said. I've been accused of being an anti-Semite because I said that, right? I mean, there are ways they get about it, but it, it's trickery. Anyways, I've been talking for a while, so let's ask me questions. I, yeah, I want to... Uh, oh, sorry. I, uh, I have a question about the about cultural anthropologists. Like, you know, I have my own theories about what, why they come across this, why they use this type of postmodernist philosophy, but I was wondering, what do you think about the the field, the study itself, that generates this type of mentality, if you have any ideas. What about the field? It's hard. It's yeah, really well, hard. Yeah, what makes because, it so susceptible? Well, be, because it's really hard to collect data, and it's really hard yeah. to be objective, right? With physics, yeah. it's easy to be objective because the material is easy, okay? But I don't think being hard is an excuse. It mm -hmm. just means you have to try harder. You can't give up on truth. Okay, and that's what people always email me there in terms of they say, you know, these are scholars. They've they've been attacked for whatever reason. Usually, you know, because I'm interested in evolutionary genetics. That's my community. Those are the people I interact with. You know, when I stepped up in this domain, a lot of people email me and they're like, you know, I know exactly what you're saying. I have no idea what cultural anthropology is about. When cultural anthropologists hear that, they're like, oh, well, you're uneducated. You know, I'm like, no, I literally have no idea. You could be writing Aramaic. It doesn't make any sense, okay? There you go being anti-Semitic again. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Well, yeah, there, yeah, there's something. But no, but what I'm saying is, like, Shagnon, Shagnon, I think he's wrong in a lot of ways, but I understand how he's wrong. I understand how he's trying to be right, okay? Yeah. Marxist, I disagree with a lot of Marxists, although I tend to talk like a Marxist a lot of times because I have materialist tendencies, I think. But in any case, I disagree with a lot of what Marxists say, but I understand what they're saying, okay? I can't understand what you're saying, Okay, that's that's just a no-no. Okay, that's just <laughs> that's why. So, like, I the thing that I said that was really offensive is basically I said that they should be pushed out of the academy because I don't think the academy <laughs> it's, not, it's not the place for that. Okay, like, it's hard enough to get money, it's hard enough to get tenure track positions, and it's hard enough to educate kids to think clearly. Okay, like, go to a yeah. seminary, go to a seminary where it's like the the church of being against white patriarchy or whatever they're against now. And that's another thing. They're, they're, they're against whatever is fashionable to be against now. If you talk to a cultural, cultural anthropologist, you know, a hundred years ago, and mind you, there are people like Boaz and Mead who oppose that at that period, they would have totally racialist views of hierarchies and whatnot because that's, that was what was in the air then. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. so I, I don't know. You know, it's, they just, I, they go with the flow and then they amplify it and within their own subculture, they just tear each other apart. Because, you know, once you, once you open that box of these tools they have, it's like everyone has a nuclear weapon. Right. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's sort of like an emotional Pokemon battle. Outrage, I choose you! Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, I mean, that's, I mean it's, like, it's like eternal Godwin. Eternal Godwin with that. Like the Bengala thing. I mean, you know, I mean, you know E.O. Wilson in the late 70s was physically attacked by some activists, and there's suspicion that, you know, some radical... Scholars told hit told them that he was going to be there and all this stuff. I mean, come on. First of all, it's juvenile. Even Stephen Jay Gould said it was you know infantile like delusion or whatever Marxism. But I mean, the reality is it's just it's creepy and weird if you're an academic that these people have these positions of power and they will justify this because they're in the job of activism and justice. Which, as I've said multiple times in my post, I don't mind that there are NGOs that do that. You mentioned Gould, um, which brings me sort of the, to the next thing I was hoping to ask you. Um, I assume that you don't see this uh, as this uh, 
fixation with social justice activism and uh, to some extent the subordination of scientific methodology to the social justice. Uh, this isn't just anthropology, is it? No, but it becomes stronger in anthropology because anthropology is about people, right? So mm-hmm. if you talk to a conservation ecologist, I swear. What? Oh, yeah, yeah, go. Yeah. They, they really f-ing love what they want to conserve, okay? They really, really just go crazy about, I don't know. It's great. It's great. But I'm just saying there is an emotional attachment to what they study, okay? So, you know, if, if you know some conservation ecologists, like, you know, these fish, I think there's like, there's some guppies or some fish in the, uh, I was talking about fish a lot. I have a friend who's a fish geneticist. And uh, there's some fish in the Death Valley that just like they're in one pond or whatever. And uh, he, uh, he's, he's stressed about them. They could go extinct. There could be a big drought. They could go extinct, you know? Yeah. So it's fine. Yeah. But some people would probably laugh at that. Yeah, some people, they're really small fish. Some people probably laugh at that. Now, you know, if you're an anthropologist and you're worried about this group, this population, I think most people wouldn't laugh at that. I understand why they get into it. I think you can't always separate yourself, but it's a spectrum. You can't just say that, well, I'm an activist. I can't be objective. There is no such thing as objectivity. Everything is fiction. Everything is social construction, blah, 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 blah. Right? So I don't really care what they say. It's the methods that they use. And also, for some, what it, well, I think you could create a reason why this happens, but a lot of it is like all these personal attacks when you have no real rules aside from what you feel is right. But there's no real guideline of what they feel is right. They're always more progressive than thou mm-hmm. with each other. You know, it's like, I mean, me, it's like, I'm just like in the outer darkness. Like they're to- like, basically like I was I put on Twitter the other day. It's like, you know, I've been basically making anthropologists heads explode for 10 years. They don't, they don't even know how it's like, like, Go up to a Saudi Arabian that's never been out of the country and tell them that, like, there is no God. You know? They're not going to really react to you with anger. They're just going to be really disoriented, and probably it's going to be somewhat of a body blow. You know? <laughs> that, that's what's going on here. You know? That's what's going on here. So do you think it's part of the same fight that Gould had with the psychometricians and all these other uh, sorts of uh, left-right battles between the, it, you know? This is, this is more far gone than that. I mean, it is part of it. Um, Gould was association with, I think it's that People for Science, whatnot. Um, if you read up, you look at Sergei Stahl's book, uh, Defenders of the Truth, about sociobiology in the 70s and 80s, him and Lawton were, um, they were, you know, very political active. But, I mean, this is, it's much more far gone than that at this point. You know, it's, it's cultural evolution. Like, they've had to one-up themselves to get status and stature. So, um, you know, I have, I have serious problems with Gould. You know, I've read a lot of his stuff. He's not very well respected among evolutionary geneticists, just so you know. Um, it's just how it is, okay? Um, he's, just, he's just not. You can look it up, you know. I mean, it's not not a big deal. Or you could just ask your local, go to the University of Oklahoma and ask an evolutionary geneticist what they think. Probably roll their eyes because they're tired of hearing about the guy. But um, but that's the science issue, you know. In terms of politics, I mean, Lawton, he is respected. Like his science is hardcore when he sticks to science. So those are separable. With the anthropologists, they're not separable because you don't know what the hell they're doing. I mean, it's all a huge mishmash. Everything is ad hoc. I mean, you know that they're going to say discourse about seven times in a paragraph, and they're definitely going to use air quotes a lot. You know? They might even use air quotes in the middle of a, middle of a word. I don't know. You know? Just, just, just to spice it up. Like, I'm being, I'm being sarcastic, but this is, this is how I feel about them. Like, this is why they get apoplectic about me, because, like, I'm not even making a pretense of respecting them. They're not serious, you know? Now, it is a serious matter, though. I mean, they will destroy careers. They, they're trying to get me fired from Discover right now. I doubt they're going to be able to, but they might be able to. 
You know, I mean, there's there, there's the email campaign. There's always email campaigns to get me fired. You know. I don't suppose you spent a lot of time in the online atheist community. I used to. I mean, I because we did get... that exact same bullshit. All that stuff we just talked about. Yeah, I mean, do you want me to get into that? Because we're talking about the Shagdon thing. Well, well, the thing is, uh, we related. start with the Shagdon thing, and we'll we'll uh, we'll we'll expand outward from there. But we we can go into as much depth as you want on the Shagdon thing. I well, I had okay. a question about Shagdon, if you wanted. Uh-huh. To. Yeah. I, whenever we spoke to John Horgan, we didn't really get into his methodologies and what were wrong with them. And I was curious what you had, what issues you had with his with his uh, way he way he studied them. Um, there's some issues with his statistics, probably, I would say, and his measures of fitness. Oh. The big thing is, if you read his work, he thinks that the those Amazonian tribes, and I'm not going to try to pronounce them, okay, <laughs> I'm just not going to do it, but um, are representative of primitive man in a state of Hobbesian nature. I don't think mm-hmm. they are. Okay, I think, I think the cultural anthropologists who say that they're not are totally correct on mm-hmm. the facts. Okay, I am willing to. If I met him, and I would like to meet him someday before, you know, I mean, he's old, so I mean, like, I admire the guy. I admire, I admire people even when they're wrong, when they stick their necks out and try to achieve the truth in a very difficult domain, right? Yeah. Most of most of science is about being wrong. There's no shame in that, you know. Just be mm-hmm. proud of it and res- respect that someone has tried. They tried their best with the tools that they had, right? So I don't, I don't have a problem with that at all. So I mean, it's just like you know, people are some of the culture anthropologists are like Z, but I mean. You say you disagree with, with, with his facts, but I mean, you know, so what? I disagree with the facts of a lot of scholars I respect. So it's not that he got the analysis wrong about what you know on the ground. What he was observing is that he drew too much out of it because he wrongly assumed that a a very uh, marginalized tribe, and I mean this like spatially marginalized to the the most hostile environments, uh-huh. where the Euro- Europeans hadn't penetrated. Yeah. Is, can't possibly be representative of our ancient forebears who are in much more plentiful environments. Perhaps. I mean, yeah. I mean, the issue is, like, I don't know, you know, the embedded anthropological field methodology. I'm not an anthropologist. I do know a fair amount, I would say, about history. And, you know, I read a lot about archaeology and whatnot. I mean, you know, I'm interested in phylogeography. Uh, so patterns and distributions of genes in humans oh. as well as other organisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You know, to understand that, you need a historical context. So you need to know a lot of human history. You need to know archaeology, et cetera, et cetera. So I do know something about that. The primary issue I have is I'm not necessarily sure it's that easy to have a quote-unquote representative uh, population because there might have been a lot more variation than we are actually comprehending because understand that for the past 8,000 years, all the most fertile bottomland has been farmed. Yeah. We don't. We don't really know what hunter-gatherer tribes would be like if they had access to all of that, you know, high-density living because of, you know, easier resources. They still wouldn't be as high-density as farmers, but and the, the, in terms of those Amazonians, they themselves are agriculturalists. They're not hunter-gatherers, okay? And some, some of the crops that they use are from the old world, right? Mm-hmm. right. And if you read um, – have you heard of Charles C. Mann's work in 1491 and 1493? Well, you mentioned 1491 in your book role, but no. Other, yeah. other than that, no. Okay, so <laughs> a base, yeah, basically his thesis is that um, a lot of – and I find this moderately persuasive. I'm moderately persuasive for, for various reasons. That uh, what European perception of Amerindian populations is skewed by the fact that they died ahead of the wave of settlement. 
because disease spreads faster than people. Mm-hmm. Okay, so their populations might have crashed to five percent of what they were before. Now, if you take ninety-five percent of people randomly out of any given town, it's going to look like a wreck. Mm-hmm. Okay, so everything is disturbed, scattered. People are trying to reorganize. So, for example, the Plains Indian lifestyle totally changed with the horse, right? Yeah. They were they were told they were dog based society that I think they lived around you know rivers and whatnot, and then they became you know hardcore nomads that were relatively violent militaristic. So there's a lot of change that can happen, and I think you have to be careful about generalizing from one group. And now I sound kind of like a lot of the cultural anthropologists, right? So you no, know, but I know what you mean because like the archaeology that we have, we try and relate it to with with the tribes that we've observed yes. so when you're in like i do i know a lot of archaeology about eastern oklahoma so okay. when you're looking at caddos archaeologically you try and relate them to a tribe that was observed like this is 1300 1280 and they're trying to relate it to uh practices that are similar to what you see in the archaeological record that happened in 1700 but how do you know that it's truly representative i because yep. by 1700 there's too much intermingling by that time yeah, that's that's eight generations. Yeah, okay? that's a long time. Like, do you know all of your, you know, great 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 grandparents? Right. You know, and like we have good records. Okay. Yeah. And we have a we have a written we have a written culture which actually probably slows some aspects of cultural development because everybody's literate and so they anchor onto old texts and whatnot. Oral cultures often mutate very fast and change very fast. So, um, you know, this is this is. This is kind of an argument for being skeptical and being very careful. This is not an argument to say that we should just make up whatever we want to make up. Okay, and that's what I feel that right. a lot of cultural, cultural anthropologists do. They just make up whatever they want to make up because it's so hard. <laughs> okay, it's like there's no excuse for that. You do that, you're misleading people. Misleading people is bad. I think it's bad. That's a value. That's a cultural value I have, right? And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna step step away from that. You know. So what are, what are the, some of the ways that you would like to see it become more uh, scientific as a field. Well, I mean, you know, for your listeners, uh, Google someone named Joe Heinrich at the University of uh, British Columbia. He basically does a lot of replicated tests and experiments, behavioral economic games, in a whole host of societies. And he uses, I mean, he doesn't use that much math, but he uses some formal modeling. Uh, you know, he, he uses a multidisciplinary perspective. And he brings together psychology because, you know, Humans vary in terms of their psychology, but they don't vary that much, right? So we're not necessarily sure about whether X population 10,000 years ago was polygamous or matriarchal or whatever. I mean, I'm pretty sure they weren't matriarchal, but that's a different issue. Um, But we do have, like, parameters of our human nature, you know? And, you know, I think evolutionary psychologists tend to go a little too far there, but that's not totally crazy. You Mm -hmm. look at – did you watch the Werner Herzog movie about those caves – with the paintings? I haven't. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, like, you know, I watched that movie. You look at those paintings, you're like, damn, that was like 30,000 years ago. Right. That was damn good. That was damn good, right? That was yeah. 30,000 years ago. Like, I mean, that, you know, the, those boys could paint, or those girls, who knows? <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, I'm, you know, it's just like there are universals, and that's one thing I criticize a lot of the anthropologists about. Like, they need to think more about psychology and cognition because that's, a, that's an objective anchor that they have. And they can generalize from because you know ten million years ago we were totally different. Like we were we were you know forest apes of some sort. Okay, that's totally different. 
you know, like 50,000 years ago, 30,000 years ago, I think we were different. And I think there's variation today across people and groups and stuff. But still, I mean, we recognize each other as human. I mean, like, you know, everybody outside of Africa is 2.5% Neanderthal. There's other admixture in Eastern Asia and Papua. And then in Africa, it looks like there are multiple admixture events. You know, what to be human isn't to be descended from any particular person. It seems like it's an evolving process that has different nodes. But that's constrained. It's not totally uniform and arbitrary. And that's what anthropologists sometimes seem to argue. Everything is socially constructed and uniform and arbitrary in some idealized world. And so the way the world is is due to some power relation or historical contingency. There's a lot going on there, but that's not everything. And if you just focus on that, that's blind to the texture of the world around us. Very neat. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just I, I can't I can't get over the idea that this is that it could have gone differently. That I can't. I it's I assume that there's a few influential personalities that turned it towards this um, well postmodernist whatever you want to call it um, this path. Yeah. Well, I mean, from what I know, it's not as influential in European anthropology, but this might be a little outdated. Uh, European anthropology tends to take cultural anthropology. I'm talking about cultural anthropology here. Obviously, yeah. archaeology and you know biological are totally different. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of postmodernists in Europe. I mean, Foucault and Derrida were European, but you know, for whatever reason, some of those anthropologists were not affected. Some of them probably were, but I don't really know that much about that scene. I only know the anthropologists that I follow that I believe actually generate insight about the world around us, right? That's the key. I don't really care about your linguistic analysis, and I don't really care about who was a Nazi in their heart of hearts. <laughs> so speaking of you know, terrible uh, and unsubstantiated accusations, did you, did you want to go down? <laughs> did you want to talk about the atheist community? Um, well, I mean, I don't actually know where you guys are from, I mean, where you guys are coming from. I don't keep track of it much because, like, I'm a really, you know, I'm a really busy dude, but, I mean, some of the drama, okay, like, I can't lie, like, I waste three hours, like, trying to keep track of what's going on and who got expelled by who and who, yeah. who, who fought what who, and, and I talked to, <laughs> I talked to another friend of mine, I'm like, what do you think about this? I'm like, it's better than The Bachelor, dude, <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, it's like, screw TV, like, this shit is, like. This shit is good. This is like, you know, <laughs> this is like, um, this is like, um, what is it? Like, it reminds me of um, Life of Brian, but not funny. No, yeah, not, it's not very funny. Uh, it <laughs> it can be it funny if, if you can detach from it, but, but if you're, um, if you're like trying to put a conference together, you've got to fucking build a compatibility chart for who the speakers are going to be. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. one of them will, b will bail on you partway in and be like, oh, I can't go to this. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, Probably I'm more, like, in terms of those conflicts, I'm more, like, on Dawkins' side or whatever side. I mean, a lot of the – I don't necessarily – you know, like, I don't think that, like, you know, women should be – I mean, a lot of it has to do with feminism, right? Right, yeah, and, and some of it has to. to do with evolutionary psychology, too. That's been yeah. – Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, that's why I call them left creationists. Like, I mean, you know, like, out with the, <laughs> out with the god, but, like, you know, like, you know. I, I encounter people like that. I'm just like, I, I don't really care. I mean, like, it's not real. You know, I mean, like, evolution is real. Deal with it. It also affects human beings. Deal with it, right? So, I mean, you know, and I've, I've gotten to arguments with BZ. I mean, like, we're pretty civil. I mean, we've met a couple of times. We're pretty civil, like, face-to-face. -face. Um, I don't really know what's happened over the last year or two. He's apparently fatwaed, like, multiple new atheists. Is this correct? Oh, I made a list. Yeah. Yeah. He's a okay. general jerk, but yeah. yeah. He's definitely yeah. crossed people off his list. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like, okay. There is no black – yeah, Google, there is no blacklist if you want to see what the blacklist looks like. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, like, so, like, I did atheist activism when I was in undergrad and stuff, but that was a long time ago. Like, this sort of stuff wasn't, I think part of it might be just that atheists are more secure, and so now they're going to turn on each other. You know, I don't know. It just I might. Be, it, I think that's part of it. You, after a while, you feel like you've you've covered all the creationist bases. Yeah. And there's just you know it's just not that fun trying to refute the same thing over and over again. And you're like, oh, let's move on to a bigger challenge. And then yeah. we have this exact same process of, uh, well, it's 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 been a lot of the same techniques you were being you were describing. Uh huh. Yeah, been exactly. Used against. And there's no there's like innocence is no defense. Innocence is no defense. <laughs> you know, you can't ever bring facts. Like, facts are tools of the patriarch or whatever the hell. Yeah, if you're white, you're screwed. <laughs> you're screwed. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, at least I'm not white, you know? I mean, I don't really, <laughs> yeah. pull, the race, I'm, I don't really pull the race card often, but, like, sometimes I'm like, just like, come on, like, don't lecture me about, like, social construction of race, you know? I mean, it's like, I grew up in America when, like, everyone was black and white, and people would ask me what Indian tribe I was from. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like, I got some real experience. I got some real experience in cultural anthropology. I was raised by Muslims, and, like, they were weird. You know, I was like embedded <laughs> for 18 fucking years in a weird ass barbaric culture. Right. So, I mean, it's just like, that's just what I say straight up. Like, don't tell me about your field trip in Bolivia for six months. You know, like, where did you live? Did you live in a hut? You probably didn't. You know, you probably had so you did. You did, didn't you? Oh, yeah. You took your you took your cell phone. You know, you had Roby. You know, where did you grow up? I grew up in the, in the United States, but I'm like my my parents are pretty backward, frankly. I mean, whatever. I mean, they're not like evil people. They have different values, you know. Yeah, yeah. But where, so, where, where though? My family's from Bangladesh. Well, no, but where'd you grow up? Uh, New York and Oregon, mostly. I was gonna guess New York. Yeah. I talk fast. You got a little bit of a, a New York regional. Uh, yeah, I grew up in upstate New York, so near um near um by Albany. Yeah. Right on. So. But, um, you know, in terms of the atheist community, I mean, it seems silly. I mean, I'm not, like, super into it at this point. It's not my focus. I'm interested in science. And I'm just like, damn, like, you guys are making a fool of yourselves. You know, and I'm not saying I, – I, I obviously have a bias in terms of what side I think is doing it because, you know, they're pulling this card and that card. And, you know, it's like, you know, like, why are you criticizing me? Is it because I am – and then you fill in the blank, right? You know what's going to happen next. You know, right, it's just like, right. they're, they're going to pull something out of the hat. There's a long-ass list. You know what I'm saying? Like, maybe they had, like, a long illness as a child. Is it because I was ill as a child? I don't know. I really don't know. Because, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. They'll find something. And it's just, it's a childish way to argue, in my opinion. It's not adult. And, you know, I mean, the way I am online, I mean, if you see, I mean, like, I will verbally fucking brutalize you, you know? Well, so, I, mean, I, don't, I, don't, I don't pull punches. So I'm not going to, like, go with all the sensitivity crap. It's just not me, you know? Like... Don't don't read my blog. You are uh, hilarious online in that your posts are so often very straight journalist kind of writing style, and then yeah. you jump into the comment section and you're just tearing somebody up. <laughs> and then I have to like double I have to double check like okay yeah it's still Razi. Yeah, I mean because it's thing- like you change personalities from the, like, your initial post to like how you interact. Well, I mean, have you heard of the Greek concept of epochy? I don't know if it's pronounced right. It's like when you when you withhold judgment, you step step outside something. So a lot of times I do that. I talk about something where I have no personal sympathy with it, but people assume that I do because I'm not bleeding in any judgment. Okay. So for example, if I talk about Islamic fundamentalism, you know, if it's in a post where I want to analyze it as an objective thing. I don't like let the fact that I'm a straight up like self declared Islamophobe bleed into it to the point where people have accused me of being a Muslim fundamentalist because 
why aren't you criticizing these? Well, you know, I'm like, that's not the time and place. Okay. There's plenty of time and places. Like I posted like pictures of Muhammad being raped by a camel on my blog that I drew in Photoshop. So I mean, don't, <laughs> that was you, know, you? Like, I did, I did that at some point. I mean, I did a bunch of different things. I don't really care. You know? So, I mean, in any case, you know, people have different, different sides of their personality that they use to explore different issues, right? There's a way that you need to be cold and bloodless, you know, but if someone's coming in your face, no, don't try to don't try to like be all peaceful with them. Like go back at them, you know. Also, if someone's stupid, like be honest with them. You're stupid. You know, read a little more. You know, be a little more educated. Open your mouth when it's the right time and place. Like, we're not all equal, you know. Like I'm not a really good basketball player. I wish I was, but I'm not. You know, if I say I'm a really good basketball player, uh, I'm full of crap, and you should tell me. You know, if I'm gaining weight, I'm gaining weight. It's not some delusion of whatever media. So. You know. Speaking as someone who sucks at basketball and has been gaining weight, I find this whole line of, of discussion very triggering. <laughs> have, I di- have, have I disempowered you? <laughs> totally. <laughs> is this is this aggression? You're erasing me from the di- this discourse. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's I think what you're, you're you're touching on is identity politics, and so you can't you can't put out an argument without stating exactly how you feel because they'll all of a sudden fill in with whatever identity you are because they are they are less concerned with your actual argument than trying to mind read you read your mind and figure out what your motivations are and that that's a big issue for me yeah and you know we all do that it's it's a matter of degree you need to keep it in check it's a childish thing it's a human thing right we have human yeah. instincts and so i do find it like pretty laughable i mean as a lot of people have observed that some people in the rationalist movement definitely, you know, emotion has the leash on reason. Their reason <laughs> is just a tool for emotion, right? It's just a tool to serve their own emotional interests. But I mean, I think that's true to some extent in general. It's just you have to like out you have to outline the parameters, right? We all agree in the United States, not all of us, but most of us on certain particular core values, right? But I mean, I'm not a liberal. I don't I don't go down with a lot of that stuff, so if someone, you know, if I'm around atheists, they'll assume that, like, I agree with all the liberal stuff. No, I don't, you know? Yes, we've been there. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just like, you know, just... And I'm not even conservative, but I'm, like, I'm so centrist that people think of me as conservative Yeah, yeah. in in atheist circles. Well, because the distribution is skewed. Yeah, quite. It's like, so you have, like, this weird skewed bubble world that you live in. Like, that's not (laughs) the real world, you know, which is fine. I like living in bubble world. Like, I don't like hanging around stupid people. But I realize most people are stupid, you know? Well, that's a really offensive thing to say to a lot of people. Yeah. We live in, you, know, you know, we live in the United States, and people are equal, blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, that's I don't really believe that, so just how it is. I like this blatant elitism. This is good stuff. Yeah, I don't I don't think that's an insult. I don't think that's an insult. Everyone's elite in their own way. Everyone has their strength. Well, not uh, but most people. <laughs> most people, you know what I'm saying? Everyone has their virtuosity. You just have to recognize that. You have to recognize real diversity. I was really turned into a Disney, a Disney movie just then. Like everyone yeah. has their purpose, and everyone has yeah, everyone has something <laughs> that they're at least one sigma up on. I swear. You know, you should, you, you, you guys should have definitely um, record the faces of people that have just met me as I'm going on on this because it's, I find it pretty amusing. I know that my friends are often quite embarrassed and disturbed, but you know, hey, we should, we should make a video podcast of that sometime. Yeah, it's like the Razib helmet cam. Yeah, I hate to yeah. go all, all identity on you, but do you think that might be because you were raised by you know your parents are from Bangladesh? Because a lot of the people that I like second generation 
Americans that I know that they're like that. They don't have they're not sensitive to those types of feelings that we are. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't have white guilt, but I mean, like, I mean, seriously, dude. Like, my I don't have white guilt, but I'm sure I've been told that I should. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> oh, let me tell you about my family. My family were tax collectors. Okay. Wow. It's like, that's where I'm from. So it's like you know, of course, like I have brown skin. Oh well, I'm I'm underprivileged. That's bullshit. Okay. My dad has a fucking PhD. Okay. In tax I mean, it's like, No, I'm just like you know, we tax collected for the British. They're called Zamindars. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's basically wow. like. Yeah, so someone's got to do it at yeah, that time. Right. I, mean, I don't like that. I don't. I don't justify it. It's not. It's not something to be proud of for sure. But whenever people, <laughs> whenever people are like, "Oh, well, you're from Bangladesh, a poor country." How many poor Bangladeshis do you really think come to this country? You yeah. think you're really seeing the poor ones? No, you're not, dude. Like, if you go back and see how, like, my family has servants back there. You know what I'm saying? Like, my family has like bodyguards. You know, they they like never drive because all of them have drivers because labor's so cheap. You know. Wow, the, your the best... privilege is showing, man. Yeah. <laughs> your skin well, you know, was really helping you, and all of a sudden you start talking about servants yeah, and bodyguards. Yeah, you were doing so, and... <laughs> so well with identity politics, but now your privilege is totally showing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I want to ask a little bit about uh, your conservatism. It's so hard to find a conservative atheist. Uh, I mean, we could do a whole show about that if we could get two of them together. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which, you know, I don't know what happens if you rub two conservative atheists together, but... Luckily, I'm I'm never going to come across this problem. Yeah, yeah, it's um definitely um I mean, what do you want to why I mean, what are you curious about? Well, you know, is it like the Andrew Sullivan kind of conservatism? Is I mean, I assume it's not the D- Dinesh D'Souza kind of conservatism. So, you know, um, Andrew's Andrew's a little milk toast for me. I mean, I think he's more liberal, honestly. But I mean, he he's 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 free to have his own. I mean, like you know, I mean. Andrew knows me. I mean, we don't know each other well, but we know each other through the internet. We've corresponded. You know, I'd say we're friendly. He's he's linked to my blog multiple times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, you know, and I know of him. I know his his he he's a cool guy. I like him a lot. Um, my conservatism is like the first thing is what I said is human equality. I think like that's the central hallmark of liberalism in the United States, which actually expands across the whole political spectrum. And when I say human equality, I don't mean we should treat people necessarily differently. We shouldn't like. There was a lot of, you know, it's just aristocratic societies. They're crap, you know. I kind of come from one in a way. It's just recently come out of feudalism. Like, I come from a feudal class, basically, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But people have gotten confused, and they think everybody is exactly like everybody else, okay? They're not. People are different. And, you know, children are socialized to think everybody is exactly like everybody else, and everyone has the same potential, right? Yeah. And they don't. Mm. Okay? So that's... A lot of people feel that that's a little radical, and I don't say it in a sugar-coated way. Like I'm just like straight up about it. As far as libertarians, like you know, I used to be a libertarian, and if everybody in the world was like me, or they were a 30-year-old virgin computer programmer, libertarianism worked worked fine. You know? I don't know. Um, Those 30-year-old virgins can they go on sprees? If you know what I'm saying. Yeah, so basically they would eliminate each other. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, like I told my, you know, the thing is, like my younger brother who I didn't actually grow up with, he's a lot younger. Um, you know, he started getting interested in politics, and we have the same kind, we have similar politics, like libertarian, conservative, and I told him, you know what, don't get too interested in politics before you've had a relationship. Because before you understand women, you don't understand the world. They're half of the world. You know what I'm saying? I was just like, you think Dude. you got it all, you think you got it all figured out, you don't. 
You don't know Jack. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I still don't, don't understand women, man. I, you never uh, will, but you can try. Again, I, again, all you can do is try. Just I'm asymptotically up. approaching some level of well, yeah. a, la- a lack of ignorance. Well, I guess some cheat codes. That's pretty much it. That's yeah. I know. So, so let me ask you, like, why did you want me on after John? I mean, oh, I that- because you know you were characterized as the designated hippie basher. Oh, but that was like some. I mean, I'm not gonna. No, but you, you've, you've you know I've I've said it I've said it you know I've said it online like I don't think that guy's too bright or he does a really good impersonation okay oh that the guy that that said that yeah I mean, the other guy on that blog no but you are more than happy to lay into cultural anthropology as a field whereas John was more on the side of defending it I and mean, he was he didn't he certainly wasn't defending everything in um, in darkness um, no but he was definitely more on the side of he'll tell you that that his his ethic, his politics are not driving his science. He'll tell you that, but he'll spend as much time talking about his politics as his science. You know, it's saying you know this is why we need anthropology to. Uh, uh, Chaz, help me out here. I, well, yeah, I mean, we need there's, a a, there's a tension there. Like he, he definitely did, like you said, he, he, he claimed or he says, and he tells himself that he, the science, he, he keeps the politics and the science separately, but. He really has a problem with what, how the way uh, Shagnon and people like Pinker characterize tribes, and you know, making them out to be war have warrior genes and all that kind of stuff. It kind of makes him into he he kind of attacks their weakest arguments, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah well, we're I, looking I, for somebody who's also a science blogger who's more or less on the other side, but not like extreme, you know. That's... Yeah, I mean, I've actually read his book, and uh, he's convinced me uh, that demonic males is not strong evidence. So, I mean, he's convinced me about a variety of things from his book. I mean, I need to I need to do my own research, but um, you know, I don't think it's a crazy book. I mean, there's a lot of normative stuff in there, like value stuff, where I don't necessarily care or agree, but that's easy to filter out for me. Huh. Yeah. No, but I, I hope you see why uh, why we picked you and uh, because you, know, you and Horgan are sort of parallels. You're, you know, you're both science bloggers. You're on uh-huh. Uh, uh-huh. seemingly different sides of the Shagnon affair, but you're you're not uh, barely. This, this, barely. This barely, barely is important to us though, because we want we don't want like extreme crazy positions on either Ideologues. side. Ideologues. No, we don't want people who are you know, really firmly ideological. We want people uh-huh. who can look at the big picture and uh, not get you know uh, yeah, well, in out of shape. I- like I have like a few simple, straightforward ideological things, and I pretty much throw them out there. And they, I think, you know, like one of like one guy, I think Michael Scroggins, is accusing me of being a Whig, you know. And I'm a, I wish I, I wish I was a Whig. I wish there was more progress. I'm not really sure if it works totally. I think it works maybe on average. So I'm being a little equivocal, but apparently that's an insult now in anthropology. I don't know. I mean, hey, if I'm a Whig, that's fine. I mean, like I think there is progress. You know, I hope there is. I mean, that's what I said. I was like, I, prescriptively, I'm awake. Descriptively, I might not be because it might not be how the world works. So. Nobody, yeah, nobody gets what you're saying right now. You've you've assumed such a wonderful level of okay, background okay, knowledge okay, okay, in our okay. listeners, which is great. Okay, okay, no, no, no. <laughs> it's 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 pretty straightforward. Like, I mean, I wish the world was wiggish, where the where their progress occurred, and knowledge accrued in a directional manner. You know. I'm not sure if it's always like that, okay? So it's like I have a particular set of values that are modernist or, you know, that think, you know, things aren't just cyclical, things aren't just subjective, you know, 
that's my set of values. I obviously strive towards objectivity and truth. I'm not necessarily sure if it's possible or easy, okay? So it's not necessarily what I think the world is. It's what I hope to be, and I'm pretty honest about that. And, I mean, I just don't have much patience for people who don't agree with that because, like, there are countries like Saudi Arabia where you can live in the past, you know? Enjoy it. More power to you. Or, like, go to the woods somewhere and get off the grid. I'm from Oregon. I mean, there are people that do stuff like that. They always come <laughs> back. They always come back, you know? Most of them do. Yeah, the ones that don't get eaten by bears. Mm, there's cougars, too, but... Well, yeah, cougars. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, with your conservatism, like, what, what are some some things that you advocate for that are, you know, quintessentially conservative? Or is it not about policy for you? Some of it's policy. Like, I actually wrote, um, I went to, what is it, Council for Free Inquiry or something, some conference about politics, and I was a token conservative. Huh. You know, and so, like, you know, I'll give you an example. Like, marriage equality? I don't believe in marriage equality because I don't think marriage is about equality. Like, I don't oppose gay marriage because I don't think it hurts anybody, and I think... It helps gay people, but, you know, if people wanted to have equality for polygamous marriage, I'd be like, fuck that. Let's not have that equal, you know? There's just, like, there's a particular set of institutions that make society operate well for most people, and you should favor that. Monogamy seems to work. It reduces violence. It reduces male conflict, probably. reduces inequality. So, you know, if gay people want to get married in monogamous relationships, that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I'm not going to call it marriage equality. Again, like, I have a problem with this whole idea of equality and tolerance. Because most of the time when people say that, they don't even know what they mean. Because a lot of the people who are obsessed with tolerance, as you kind of alluded to, are not very fucking tolerant. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. You know? Uh, they, just, they just don't know. Because they think that they are right in an objective sense, I think. Well, they, the mean, world... they don't mean tolerance of diverse ideas. They mean tolerance of diverse, immutable characteristics. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, they, yeah, they mean like tolerance of different genders, different races, different immutable characteristics that give you an identity beyond your control. Uh, but gender is not immutable. Sex is immutable. Right. Sorry. God. See, I know. I I know the lingo. Like they always try no. to criticize me. Say I don't know what they're talking about. I know, it's not that hard. <laughs> I mean, compared, compared you to Lear, know that I meant sex, though. Yeah, God damn it! I know, but they would—they would jump on you. They would jump on oh, you. I've been there. They, they, they do. They do. Yeah, yeah, they do. Uh, and and the atheist community has been dealing with a, a lot of that. Um, and so, which is why I think it's—I don't think it's limited to cultural anthropology. I think it's a—it's uh-huh. a massive multidisciplinary or non-disciplinary movement that—that's you know just kind of oozing into whatever field to let it. Whether yeah, it's well, whether it's secularism or whether it's you know whatever. So I mean, in terms of other issues, okay, equality, uh, you know, like I, I I support the end of gay marriage, but the argument is just totally ridiculous to me. Um, or for example, like sex differences, I think they're pretty obviously real. You could probably eliminate them by various hormonal and surgical treatments or intensive social engineering, where you have different inducements, um, you know, different incentives. You could, you know, and societies have variation. But I think there's obvious average differences, uh, and I'm not going to have a big argument about that because I think it's ridiculous that we're going to have an argument about it. I mean, we're a moderately sexually dimorphic primate, okay? Like, nobody would ever have this argument about any other animal. We're an animal, okay? Like, right, when, you you say, when you say moderately sexually dimorphic, do you mean for a mammal or for a primate? Yeah, mammals are lots of groups, so I would just call it for primate. We're far less than a gorilla, and I think we're... Actually, like we're less than a chimp too, but we're, the gibbon is about the same. Okay, so gibbons are are like notionally pair bonded monogamous. 
Yeah. Uh, I say notionally because they cheat on each other. You know. Right. They're they're human too. But um, you know. <laughs> but chimp- chimpanzees have a kind of a polyandrous. You know, and then bonobos have their own weird, and then gorillas yeah. have like yeah, exactly. Gorillas have their own polygamous polygynous, where like the males, uh, mate guard extremely intensely, and then basically they get driven off or killed by the next male at some point, and they take over right. the hair. The females are just property. Humans don't fall into any of those categories. There's a lot of debate among anthropologists whether we're more polygamous, or more monogamous, or this or that. You know, I, a lot of that is up in the air. But the reality is, we do have a human nature, and I don't think it's the the given orientation where there's you know that such extreme convergence. I think if there was such extreme psychological convergence, we'd be about the same size. Right. I know it seems silly, but I I'm sorry, but you, no, go ahead. I know it seems silly, but you were talking about how you know, on the average, you're not talking about individuals. I think some people lose sight of that. And like, now you're talking about on the average, we are, you know, the sexes are defined quite well. They're just individuals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, you know, well, alpha, it's fine. It's the, sure, the, sure, it's, sure. There's no problem with them being different. Okay, but this is the thing. If you said that, if you said the average, they would accuse you of being an essentialist because they would just lie and say that you're making two distinct categories because they don't know math and distribution. Actually, they do, so they're just lying. Either, right, so, that's not a I mean, difficult problem, <laughs> you know. So I mean, that's 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 what's going to happen, um, you know, and that's just how it is among certain leftists. I don't know why. I don't think it's going to persist forever because you can only fight the truth for so long. Okay. I still haven't found. I haven't found you do something. Say something really conservative yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. You, you've spoken up for marriage equality under a different nomenclature. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's yeah. very Andrew Sullivan of you to say. It's the conservative thing to do <laughs> to give them this wonderful conservative institution, and I completely agree with that. I don't care what, if you call it conservative or not. Well, I mean, you know, I could say that, like, I think we do need. And it's, this is ironic because I'm an immigrant, but I think we do need to look at our immigration policy um, in terms of uh, how many people we let in, because um, I am a conservative in so far as the social institutions are not necessarily as robust as we think they are. Mm. Okay, like my family comes from a society where like the values are like you would think they were really fucked up. You actually wouldn't know because they wouldn't talk to you about them because they just treat you like an alien. But they talk to me about it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. They just assume I'm like them because I look like them and I can kind of speak their language. They just tell me the most fucked up shit, okay? Just like fucked up warp shit, okay? It's like bizarro world logic. Now, when you talk to them, if you talk to them in a frank way, they'd be like, whoa, this guy's psycho, right? World turned upside down. So, um, you know, I, I don't think that everybody is equally assimilable. I think that, you know, if you let the whole country of Bangladesh move to the United States, it'd be a poor-ass country with a lot of poor, illiterate people, and a lot of them would be wanting to kill the Hindus, because that's what they do in Bangladesh, okay? That's what they do, you know? I mean, it's, it's just what they do. I mean, it's not, it's not like, a, a big problem. Like, I was talking to a friend of mine. She's from, you know, you're not going to be able to identify her. So she's from Indonesia, and I was like, yeah, I mean, it's a moderate Muslim country, but, like, I mean, that's like saying that, like, you know, that kid in the special ed room, like, he can add, great. He's a genius. You know, I mean, and she was like, well, no, but they're really peaceful. And I'm like, really? They're really peaceful. You lived in Indonesia. You're ethnic Chinese. And she's like, yeah, I saw people killed before my eyes. You know, because there was a pogrom. They killed a crap load of Chinese. People were being murdered outside. She was hiding as a child. You know, that's that country. You know what I'm saying? And like, but she was telling me that they were peaceful because that's what she's been told. But Indonesia is a peaceful country. You know that, right? It's the the biggest Muslim country, and it's super peaceful, and they're super tolerant, except, you know, there's occasional bombings, and there's persecution of Shia, and also the Christian-Muslim conflicts, and then the pogroms against the Chinese in the late 1990s, and also in the 1960s, which might have killed as many as a million people. That's all. 
You, you, you know. still haven't said anything that conservative yet. Can, uh, seriously, <laughs> no, like, other than libertarians, nobody's clamoring for open borders. Yeah, but liberals would not want to say that different cultures have different values, right? I, like, I don't like multiculturalism. I think it's crap. I, I think that different cultures are – they have their own set of values, and they're going to have to coexist. I don't think that everyone's going to have the same values. It's just not feasible. Like, we can't force everyone to do the exact same thing except for maybe eat a different hamburger. Which is that's the, right. That's the, wait, we're not going to force feed people hamburgers, are we? No, but I'm just saying, like the whole idea that everyone's going to eat McDonald's, so they're going to have the same values. That's stupid, you know. I mean, that's not that's not necessarily just that. Like what you eat, what you consume is part of who you are, but it's not necessarily the essence of who you are. You have a set of values where you interact with people, a set of like you know, and this is cultural. This isn't ingrained. This isn't biological, right? Mm-hmm. So if you talk to if you talk to someone in 1750. In the United States, or you know, the colonial America, they would scare the crap out of you, right? Yeah. I mean, like they would want to kill like any fucking Native American they saw, you know? Like, oh yeah, and Chaz is Native American, so that's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> you got you got a problem. There. Well, I mean, let me tell you, like my my wife is um you know she's white, but um her um grandfather he's a really nice guy, but um he's like German American from Wisconsin, and he wrote like some diary for her, which is a little girl about all the various things and. And you're concerned about him, and there's like this politician, like, oh, he's a Republican, but, you know, he's open-minded, like, you know, what policy issue concerned him? He wrote down integration, okay? Wow. Whoa. This was about 1981. Whoa. Oh, crap. Yeah, Yeah, so I'm just saying, like, things change. Things change fast, you know? But people are still different, even with the United States. You know, there's still the Sarah Palin people, and there's, like, weird libertarians, and there's, like super leftist people and there's like moderate liberal people even in the united states there's diversity but when you go to another culture you really know you're different all of a sudden because there's a lot of unspoken assumptions right so you can't necessarily always mix those together okay you can't just you can't just say oh well they'll just come here and they'll become like us because in the past they did but you know in the past they did but it was really brutal there were attacks on nunneries in the northeastern united states when the irish came there were riots um they beat the crap out of little little catholic kids because they wouldn't pray to a protestant bible i mean they brutalized the catholics like they forced them to become protestant in the united states as far as the jews they didn't even fight they're just like you let us live okay that's good we're gonna like become reformed jews and become christians with curly hair basically you know? Yeah, and also, I mean, immigration was really different a uh, hundred years ago. Not just in terms of the sources, but in terms of you know, it was a one-way trip. You had to assimilate, and you didn't get to you didn't get to use vonage or whatever to call back home. This yeah, is what yeah, I was yeah. trying to get at because that's the kind of uh, problems that Ayan Hirsi Ali gets with the atheist world is that you know she thinks that the Muslim world is is a problem whenever they come here and they don't integrate into our uh, Western culture. And people call her well, all sorts oh, of yeah. terrible names yeah. because terrible she feels that way. Because yeah. she's an Islamophobe, right? Right. Yeah, well, that's well, the God, gentlest well, God, thing she gets. Well, yeah. God bless her, God, God bless her. Yeah. You know, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's fine. I have Muslims in my family. Like, I have friends that are, that are Muslims. Like, I'm civil to them. But, I mean, the reality is, like, there is a cultural gap. Um, you know, you could Google World Value Survey on my blog. You know, I've shown like the percentage of people in moderate countries that think apostates should be killed, even if they're not going to follow through with it. That you would say that today means that you're bizarro, okay? And if you're bizarro, we, why are we saying that we can just meet in the middle and there's this moderate Islam? The moderate Islam is basically, I don't know, what Christianity was where it was maybe in the 1600s, okay? I mean, I think that's I think that's actually a good characterization. It's t- it's because because they're they're fighting with each other right now over their supposed heresies and all this stuff. 
But I mean, if you look at their attitude towards tolerance, they just don't have much of one. Do um, I mean, you know what's happening in Pakistan right now? No. Not yeah, there's really. a pro- um, there's just bombings where one group is are killing the people of another group because they're a minority. And there was a recent pogrom against Shia or like they're the Christian quarter in I think the city of Lahore. I mean, who cares? Nobody even reports on that. They just accept it. You know, if that right. happened in somewhere else, if it happened in the Western world, that would be like big news because holy shit, it's happening in the civilized world. They wouldn't say it that way, <laughs> but like that's that's what's going on. Have you said anything conservative yet? I mean, like really. <laughs> I don't know. I think a lot of your readers or listeners would think that I have said conservative things. You know what I'm saying? I think saying? you'd at least get in trouble with liberals. I'm not sure they were that conservative, but I think you would get in trouble with them. I mean, I know a lot of real liberals here. I don't know a single one that's like, you know, oh. well, let's just get let's just get rid of those immigration quotas. Let's just have libertarian style open borders. You know, nobody would say that. Yeah, but I'm not necessarily even seeing that. I'm saying like, well, what about just pausing for 15 years? You know? Oh, th- there you go. You did it. There you go. You, yeah. you, you yeah. finally shocked my sensibilities. Or, or, or what about getting rid of birthright citizenship and doing what most of Europe does, you know, which is having tiered citizenship. You know, somebody somebody on Twitter was like, well, you're introducing serfdom. And I'm like, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what it is. Let's be honest about it then, you know? Maybe that's what we need. Just with the guest worker program, it's going to be a total disaster in some ways in terms of the American ideal of equality before the law. But maybe that's where we're going. If we are, it's where we're going. And, you know, it might be the best we can do. I don't know. Hmm. So. Yeah. I'm not willing to give up on the experiment of birthright citizenship until something is obviously going wrong with it. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the argument the argument that some libertarians actually make about that is if you get rid of birthright citizenship, people are actually more comfortable with immigration. Because then the, the second class, it's basically a second class. So it's like medics in Athens that were economically productive but not citizens. Mm-hmm. They're not going to change the body politic, but they're going to be economically you know, productive and contribute. I don't necessarily find that persuasive, but it's an argument. Hmm. I find it moderately persuasive, but I'm just not convinced that there's a problem yet. I mean, from what from what I've looked at, the which I uh, see. Yeah, there's no way I can say this delicately. The perceived threat is mostly from a, a massive influx of Spanish-speaking people from Mexico who have less motivation to assimilate than any previous immigration group because they're so large and uh, they all come from one culture and they have mm-hmm. relatively easy access uh, to their to their relatives back home. So that's, that's, that's what they consider the big threat. But then if you actually look at the data, from what I've seen, the second generation is pretty much speaking English. Uh, the way the the rest of us do, and you know, sure, they're okay, a, little, well, a little behind in, in 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 academic achievement, but you know, by the time you get to the third generation, you're not seeing that. Do you but, have a citation on that? Well, of course I don't. I'm talking. Okay, okay, because I'm skeptical of that. But um, in well, any case, we, we can have that out on the blogs. So I'm not like later. Okay, yeah, with, that, with writing. Yeah, yeah. So so what I would say is I'm actually not super concerned in the case of the United States because you know Mexicans are a lot less scary than Moroccans. I mean, they're basically, I mean, they're Christians and they're dominated by a white elite, I'm right? I'm scared of New Yorkers, but go on. No, but I mean, it's like, if the United States became Latinized, it would just be like, somewhat like some Latin American countries. I mean, like, white people would still rule, as long as they had numbers. They rule every single Latin American country, okay? Mm. Pretty much even, everyone. Even when they're minorities, they do. Well, they're usually minorities. Yeah. 
you know? But yeah, they rule. They, they control the levers of power, right? So, I mean, you know, one thing is, like, you know, this idea that racism will disappear and ethnic conflict will disappear. That's crap. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, I do think that it can get mitigated. It can get dampened. Unfortunately, though, people are just obnoxious in terms of how collectivist they are. You know? Like, you know, there are people, especially people with, like, kind of Asperger's tendencies. I've never seen it in them. They just don't get it. Okay? But people with normal psychologies... They're easily collectivist, okay? So, for example, you're a new atheist, or you're an atheist plus, you know? Mm. And so, you're bad, you're good, okay? Like, like, it's fucking ridiculous, right? This is a narcissism of small differences. And yet, it really, really motivates people. It okay? really does. Yeah. It so, really uh, does. You know, and in terms of these, you know, multiracial societies in Latin America, they're layer cakes. Like, they mix. They're not, like, the Jim Crow South, but it's a spectrum, Right? And so, I mean, I, that's something you have to consider. Like, if you want a welfare state, usually it's ethnic homogeneity that, that you know, it, like, homogeneity can, can occur after a long process of admixture, but it's a long process, okay? It's not going to happen after a couple of generations. Look at Brazil. It, it doesn't have to be that long. I mean, you're going to have some mixed-race kids, and if they go off and marry... Oh, no, like, I have them. I have them. Right, there you go. You have mixed-race kids, and, and if they go marry some mixed-race kids, you know, it's there. Yeah, they they will be have you'll have grandchildren of indeterminate ethnicity is what I'm saying. Uh, kind of. Um, you, if you saw my daughter, you wouldn't say she's mixed race. She basically looks white, frankly. See, so, I have that same problem. Yeah. So I mean, you know, I mean, I have had issues in public where people are like, "Why are you holding that white baby?" <laughs> you know. My dad got uh, that shit all the time, but that was the '70s, so it was a harder time. No, they're not rude about it. They're just like, "Is that dude kidnapping that baby?" You know, it's obviously just crosses their mind. They but, were rude um, about it. <laughs> they were rude you know, about it in the seventies. You know, so. yeah, in the seventies they would be. But what I'm just saying is, you know, uh, this is actually a genetic issue. Um, genetics is actually not a blending process; it's a discrete process. So the, the variation within the population actually never disappears. It just it just creates a distribution. So, for example, in Brazil, you've had generations of mixture between blacks and whites, but everyone's not brown. There are people mm -hmm. that look totally white, and there are people that look totally black. And that's because the, the number of features that control those traits on the outside, they are small enough that they're varying randomly through the population. And some people get more of the white features, and some people get more of the black features, and more people get more of the middle features, right? But just because the largest number of people are in the middle, that doesn't mean the people at the tails don't exist, okay? Mm -hmm. So in Brazil, you have a situation where it's a pigmentocracy, like most Latin American countries, where the lightest-skinned people are on top, okay? Those people are not actually necessarily that much more white, although they kind of are in southern Brazil, that's European settlement. But in any case, a lot of them have a fair amount of African admixture, but they just happen to be look whiter because their whiter-looking mixed-race ancestors probably married. So it's like a social, a social bias that for whatever reason you mate with people that look like you that's recreating the difference. I mean, I know I'm kind of getting a little nerdy on you, but I think it's an no, important... It's it's, it's a important point because people get people get really confused that if you just randomly and this is like this is genetics this is my thing population genetics if you randomly made a population together all the variation is going to disappear no that's not true in fact man if I give too many personal details you're gonna you're gonna start to know these people but I have a friend <laughs> I have a friend and she has blonde hair blue eyes freckles and yet if you look at her she looks kind of Asian. Well, you know what? She's a fourth Japanese, right? That's new variation, right? Instead of being blended, there's a whole new combination right there. 
Okay, oh. I'm not like trying to scare you about like, oh, there's gonna be way more diversity and way more conflict, but it's like when you mix populations together, actually the diversity increases. Okay, which like might be good or get bad, but that's what it is. It's not like all the variation disappears and everybody can. Be. So like ethnic homogeneity, a lot of times has to do with like really strong ideological unifiers, you know, that where where people forget part of their identity, right? So in Mexico, almost everybody, well, it's about 90% Catholic, 10% Protestant. Nobody worships the Aztec Nahuatl religion or the Michoacan religion. Like, those religions are gone. The Indio yeah. people, the indigenous people, they speak their languages, and they're indigenous because they speak their languages. Most people speak Spanish, which is an Indo-European language from Spain, right? Most people worship a Christian god, even if it has local flavor. Culture is not like genetics. You don't inherit your culture necessarily equally from both parents. Right? I'm sure mm -hmm. you know people where one parent is Jewish, one parent is Christian, and they're raising their child as Jewish or Christian, not as Jewishians or whatever. Right? Uh, they're mostly or, raising you know, them as, as agnostics at this point. Yeah, yeah. Like, or something, or something different. Or like if you have like a, a very much better explicit example is language. Right? If you yes. if you have two different, it's like you're not going to raise the kid. The kid does not speak a hybrid of English or French. They have they might have a Spanglish dialect, or they might speak uh, French Canadian type English in New England. But it's going to have a minor effect. One cultural stream dominates, right? And that's why the whole multicultural enterprise, it's been done in, done in the past. And the way it worked is one culture was dominant. So the Roman Empire, the dominant culture was Latin-speaking people in the West and Greek-speaking people in the East. And there were a lot of cultures underneath them. And to rise into the elites, you had to adhere to those two, one of those two elite cultures. Okay. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the Byzantine emperors in Constantinople were Armenian. They were ethnic Armenians. They gave up their language, and they gave up their religion, and they became Greek. Okay? Now, I don't necessarily think it's good or bad. It's just how it is. When people talk about diversity and your heritage and all this stuff, well, I mean, it's really not that permanent. It changes a lot, and it involves a lot of, uh, what is it, like, not self-denial, but Basically, you forget a part of yourself, right? So a lot of Muslims in the Indian subcontinent, they don't like to think that their ancestors were Hindu, but if you look at them, they obviously were. Okay? The Arabs, mm -hmm. Arabs or Persians or Turks did not magically turn really dark brown and shorter. Okay? It's like they obviously were Hindu, but they make these like delusions that they're descended from conquerors. I've had myself genotyped, okay? Um, I know I'm 15% Burmese, which my parents did not know about. I know I'm a couple of percent Iranian, which my parents did know about. The reason they knew about the Iranian part is because that's prestigious to them. Yeah. They're Muslim, right? right? They knew about that. They actually have records of that genealogy on my mom's side. And I confirmed in those chromosomal segments it's real. But I'm 15% Burmese. They have no idea where that came from. They're both 15% Burmese. They had no idea. They just looked at me really weird. You know, like, what? Well, that's 15% of them. But they don't care. They never thought about it, right? So these identity issues are a lot more complicated than the crap that the cultural anthropologists throw at us. You know, they talk about complication. They don't really say anything. Right? I don't think they really say anything. Like, I mean, like, I'm not gonna be conceited, but if you if you listen to me talk, it's not like I don't know things. Okay? It's so, clearly, you're into a lot of different things. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I know I know things, and I think they're full of crap, you know. And then they just assume that I'm an idiot, right? Which is fine. That's their prerogative. But it's not like I'm, I'm unfounded. I, I listen to them. I'm like, they don't make any sense, you know. Well, they make their in all internal sense, but they don't make any sense to the world out here that I've seen, right? When they talk about Western colonialism, yeah, it was a big deal. But, you know, according to some economic historians, China was still the number one economic power in the world until 1800, okay? In the, in the early 1700s, the Manchu dynasty exterminated a whole Mongol people in the western part of China and reordered that whole region. You don't ever hear about that genocide because Chinese. You know what I'm saying? Like, they care about what the Spaniards did. It shows you know? up in Pinker's book. It's oh, the last yeah. one. 
yeah, well, Pinker's a little different. I mean, I like Steve a lot, but I mean, Steve Steve actually linked to a defense that I made of him when I think somebody at the New Yorker was like, why didn't you emphasize Western colonialism more? And, like, the reality is, like, you know what? White people are not as important as, as you know, liberals think they are. Okay? <laughs> Just not. I mean, they are really important, and they were the ruling race, and they to some extent are. But the reality is, the future is going to be yellow, right? Which is not necessarily <laughs> which is not necessarily good for dark skinned people, by the way. You know, take a brown or take a brown or black person in China, it's not a pretty scene, okay? Mm. So, I mean, it's like this is not like going to be like a people of color utopia. Look at what the Chinese are doing to Angola. Look at what they're doing to Zimbabwe. Look at what they're doing to Zambia. It's not always bad, but it is brutal. They are extracting the crap out of those countries. They are pulling resources out of the ground they are taking it you know and they don't care about whatever humanitarian stuff that the west is obsessed with you know it's like how many people in the united states know that there are hundreds of thousands perhaps a million chinese in africa uh msnbc viewers should know that and it's i think it's been covered has it okay well yeah. i'm just saying i'm just saying that's a lot of people okay that's a lot of people, and they're economically dominant all over the continent now, and yet people are still talking about Western colonialism? Give me a break. Like, like live in the future, right? I mean, the future's here. It's almost here. We're still talking about stuff that happened in, like, the early part of the 20th century, and we're in the 21st now, you know? There are kids that don't remember what it was like before the internet. My daughter does not, look, <laughs> does not understand what a phone looks like. She thinks the phone is a square slab with a touchscreen, okay? Oh, weird. She's seen, okay, she's playing with an old toy phone. She was using it as a hammer, because that's what she thought it was. It looked like a hammer with a weird string attached to a heavy object. Okay? Like this, this, is, this is the world we live in. This is not the world of Livingstone and colonial power and Bretton Woods agreement after World War II, and I don't see cultural anthropology addressing any of this. They live in the past. They live in the that's, past. It's funny that you, you act so like this. Yeah, it's terrible conservatism. Well, that into, Living in the future. Well, you know I have, a lot about history, and yet you're like, you know, that's history. This is now. We need to, we need to put them in their proper spheres, right? Well, if you know history, you see how much change has occurred in yeah. the past. Okay? So, for example, you know, people talk about white skin privilege, blah, 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 blah. I mean, how many people think about the fact that there are probably as many white-skinned slaves in the Muslim world as black-skinned slaves? People were being kidnapped from Iceland, Iceland and Britain as late as like the 1600s, okay, by Barbary Corsairs. Like that's one reason the Corsairs were just so terrifying. You lived on the coast, they'd show up, they kidnap you, they might castrate you, or they might turn you into a harem slave if you're a pretty woman, you know, or they might make you soldiers. And actually, this is one thing. Um, Arabs actually, in some ways, gave whites a position of privilege over blacks. So sometimes it was a little controversial when blacks had power over white slaves and there's weird if you look at the his, historiography on that it's really there's there's a lot of complexity in there but um anyways i'm just saying there's a lot of history that's a lot more complex than the simple narratives that we get and mm. yet these people are telling us it's just so complex and you're simplifying things but you're not saying anything you know you're just like repeating the same thing and you're playing your political games okay over and over and over and i'm sick of it I've had friends who've had to like complain to me about it. Like if they're in anthropology, the crap that they have to deal with that's so bizarre, they want to shoot themselves in the head, you know. But while they have tenure, I mean, just really bizarre stuff, really bizarre stuff. Where you're like, are you serious? And you know what? It's an emperor who has new clothes. I think everyone thinks it's bizarre, and even the person who's doing it thinks it's really bizarre that are saying it. But nobody can break the code of we're all bizarre. 
You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like my, like my friend John Hawks was talking about how, like, you know, he had to listen to a lecture where a graduate student was talking about how the animals sacrifice themselves to the native people for meat. What? What? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. He didn't have tenure, so not going to say a word. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you're so delicate with this. Uh, so let's say um, there's some young undergraduates listening. Um promising young people that could you know, go into anything but they want to study uh humanity not not the humanities but our you know our species and, and the different things that it gets up to yeah and they're leaning towards cultural anthropology what would you say to them i actually have i have a piece of advice and i'm stealing it from brian kaplan um at econlog who's at george mason he's a professor of economics what he suggests is study economics because it's an easy major and if you aren't good enough to go to graduate school you can make some money. So it has good money return for how hard, how smart you have to be, you know? Like in engineering, you're going to flunk out if you're just not smart enough. Econ, you can kind of, you know? Second of all, if you're smart enough, um, you should probably double major math or something so that economists think you're not stupid. But yeah. um, in, any, in, any, in, any, in any case, you study econ in grad school, you get your PhD by doing something economic, and then wait until you have tenure and then study whatever you want to do. Okay, whatever about humans you want to study. You have tenure. Okay, you can study behavioral economics, which overlaps with cultural anthropology. You can study all sorts of things, you know. Like, I mean, you know, Steve Levitt, like all the weird things he's done. That's not that atypical now. Economists study a lot of different things. They're not as hidebound. I mean, they're a little too attached to elegant mathematics in terms of like a dick swinging way, but whatever. <laughs> like that, that, that's it's obvious. I, I really want to delve deeper on that, but no, I'll <laughs> let it go. Yeah, but I mean, you know. I'm just saying, like, I would say probably study economics if you're interested in that sort of stuff. I really like history, but um, have you watched uh, that uh, Goodwill Hunting, that scene where Matt Damon, uh, Matt Damon uh, upbraids that guy that, you know, like, he's getting, uh, I mean, back then it was like $30,000. Now it's probably like forty-five, like $30,000 a year education where he could just, like, have all the library books, right? Get a Kindle, get a Kindle and get a lot of free books, read all the classics first. And then in terms of, like, go to a college library and, like, read a lot of history, like, you know, I, mean, I just like, I like reading, like, 600-page monographs on the cultural history of 4th century Rome. I just like to do it. Okay, that's my thing, you know? <laughs> I like to do it. I mean, it's weird, but I like to do it, okay? And it's not because, like, I'm trying to impress. I mean, I'm married, you know? I'm not trying to impress anyone. I'm not trying to impress my friends. Like, they think it's weird, okay? But, I mean, if you're interested in it, if it's something that doesn't require technique, and history generally doesn't. Then right. you could do it on your own if you're actually passionate. And today right. we have we have Kindles, so you could actually if if you want to study ancient philosophy, just just load up free Kindle books, right? Mm -hmm. This is this is a great time to be alive. There's no excuse if you want to study those sorts of humanities that have stood the test of time. And like it doesn't have to be like you know, Western stuff. Like I have the Vedas, I have the Bhagavad Gita. I, have, I like I really like Chinese philosophy, but that's a separate issue. So you know I have a lot of these things. I, I reread a lot of them. I read a lot of Aristotle, but um. You know, that's that's really influential to me personally, and I think it's nourishing. And, you know, I think I think it, I said this on the ethnography.com blog. I think a lot of social science, just like science in general, is outdated and makes progress. So I'm not going to pay attention to the economics of the 19th century, okay? Or the mm -hmm. sociology of the 19th century. But when it comes to philosophy or religion, and to some extent even history in certain areas, the old stuff is fine. I don't, yeah. really, I don't really see that, like, modern ethicists have gone that much further than Aristotle. We might just have an evolutionary 
you know, we might be straightjacketed. We can't think outside this box, right? And in terms of mathematics, I mean, a lot of the Ordover books, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you could do where, that stood the test of time in certain fields, and you don't have to have a lot of money. You know, you don't have to, like, break, you know, you could be a high school student as long as you could, like, you know, get a Kindle, get, like, a $50 Kindle or get an old Kindle, and you could just load it up. That's what I would say. This episode of the Godcast is sponsored by Kindle. <laughs> Visit okay. Kindle.Amazon.com. <laughs> I would say you you could get the Nook, but it's not going to be around that much longer. No, I'm just messing yeah. with you, man. It's... I I think it's great because a lot of the the uh, great, wonderful, um, massive, big thinkers are taking are are going outside of their field, right? Pinker, he's at he's at, he's always stepping out of his field. Jared Diamond, he's you know he he was a or what was he? He was a bird. You know, he was he was a bird biologist, right? Yeah. Ornithologist. There we go. Yeah, and he's uh, studying humans. It's it's important to have these outside opinions because they're not ingrained and brainwashed in this uh-huh. in these yeah, particular yeah. fields. So I think that that is important. We need more of that. Well, I mean, so this started with Diamond. Okay, this started with Jared, and you know, Jared's written some things. He's he's become a little more politically correct over the years. You read the third chimpanzee. That stuff was like that traumatized me. Okay. <laughs> I was like, whoa, dude, whoa, whoa. I'm like 10 years old right now, but it's like <laughs> I want to go kill myself. You know, it's just like you just depressed crap out of me. But whatever, it is what it is. He got like, more happy-feeling over the years. But, I mean, he has a streak in his literature. And, like, the anthropologists have dug it up. Like, he compared testicle sizes between races and stuff like that, which, like, that's so easy to, easy to you know, depict as racist. You know, it's, it's not easy. It's just, okay, like, you just do that. You put the big bold letters, you know, it is what it is. You can find it. The papers are out there. You know, yeah. people are interested in these sorts of things. I'm sorry. It doesn't seem as offensive as the bell curve to the sensibilities of the, the you know, because it's testicle maybe. size. Maybe, maybe. But I'm saying like we don't need to all be innately the same in our testicles, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you think everyone, do you think all populations are innately the same in their aptitudes, like cognitively and in terms of personality? Uh, wait, you talking about human populations? Yes, yes. Do you think they are? Oh, hold on. Let me turn off the recording. Yeah, exactly, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And the, the, the issue is the commissars. The commissars 100 years ago, you would have to turn off the recording if you said they were. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Wait, it, l- let's just say that I, you know, I'm, I'm open I'm not, to I'm evidence not, I'm, on, on the point. I'm not, yeah. not going to say dogmatically that they're... But, but I, I can t- certainly see how... There's been enough time for more than just epicanthic folds to develop in terms of, of changes. Sure, sure. And if you go to China, like they're not going to turn off the recorder. They'll tell you straight to your face. They're smarter. They have, they, no, the, yeah, they have – well <laughs> – They'll say, they think, we're better at things than you. Well, they will say that they are smarter maybe, but I mean they're definitely going to give white people their props for violence and cunning. There's a reason you. There's a reason you got somewhere. You know, they they love you a lot. Like you're 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 light skinned, you know. So um, in any case, I'm just saying that you know there's there's a lot of things that he says that, whoa, that just like, shocks you, right? And he's wrong a lot of the time. I think he's a glib. He's right. Same thing with Shagnon, except like on a bigger and grander scale. And he got rich doing it, right? <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. That's why they hate him. That's he got rich it. doing it. He's got an extra house in Missoula, like around Missoula and Montana, and he's got a place in LA, I think. I mean, like, this guy's like he's pulling. Up. Now, Stephen Jay Gould, despite the fact that personally he treated people like crap, and he got super rich and would charge people for lectures that were just like totally crap, from what I've heard. 
you know, that's okay because he was a Marxist. It didn't matter, to, you know, you know, he don't 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 criticize him. But Jared Diamond, he says things were that offend us. So therefore, the fact that he got rich over his falsity, that's we're gonna go after this guy, right? Like in the most mean, just just low spirited way possible. And I don't necessarily think it's positive that Jared got rich that way. Like I. I'm very, very ambivalent about it, but the reality is so many people get rich in so many crappy ways, and so many people have read his books and been inspired, right? Now, which, was, which book really put put Diamond on the map? I, I, I'd assumed it was Guns, Germs, and Steel and not The Third yeah. Chimpanzee. Yeah, Guns, Germs, and Steel. It's, it's much more... It's, it's not like, you know, Pollyanna optimistic, but Third Chimpanzee just is depressing, you know, about how violent and all this stuff we are. And I'm not necessarily sure if it's right, but in any case, Gender of Steel is a good book in a lot of ways. Um, I still think it's, you know, it tries to be a little correct, but whatever. You know, it's, he's rich now. Like, that is what it is. But, I mean, it's no shame to get rich in ways that aren't totally legit because that's being American. A lot of people do that, and, you know, it doesn't make you a Nazi. Okay, that's that's that's, that's basically how I end a lot of these statements. doesn't make you a Nazi. you got to be a Nazi to be a Nazi. There's, the you very know? few Nazis got rich selling books. I mean, except for maybe Hitler. Yeah, Mein Kampf. Like, <laughs> I mean, uh, it wasn't like the, the dissemination of knowledge wasn't a huge thing for the Reich. <laughs> in fact, you're, you're right. They're they're totally anti-enlightenment, anti-modern. So I mean, that's totally, totally. Great. I mean, we shouldn't talk about <laughs> getting trouble. Like, talk about <laughs> too much. Like, are you? A <laughs> we'll, we'll bleep out all the <laughs> people. Wonder what that was. Uh, <laughs> I, I really appreciate your time tonight. Can we have you back sometime and talk about genetics, please? Yeah, can we do that? <laughs> okay. Not you think soon, I talk- but, you know, sometimes. You think I talked fast and you couldn't get me to shut up? If you uh, listen to me talk about genetics, it's it's going to be difficult to, to tell me to control myself because <laughs> I love genetics. Dude, that makes our job so much easier. Yeah, that does make it easier. Okay. We'll, we'll, just, we'll, have to, we'll have to <laughs> just, uh, at some point, we'll have to, you know spin up on what the hell we're talking about because yeah. tonight, tonight we roamed on all these topics and half the time I hadn't read the books you talked about. So <laughs> Okay, so um, by the way, I just want to say about John, um, he said that my review of Double Savages was good and balanced. Um, so I'm, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I just don't feel like we're that far apart. I know that he has somewhat different political views than me, but I mean, as far as peace, I like the end of war. Like, I don't like war. It's, you know, as Robert Wright would say, it's not it's zero sum. It's actually probably negative sum. Um, I'm, I'm kind of an isolationist. I really like, you know, I like Ron Paul type stuff, you know, in terms of just don't intervene abroad. It's, it just causes more problems, even if we think that, even if it would, it would, it would help something in the short term. It's like, come on, if we go to Syria, it's going to be Iraq again. So, I mean, I don't know if like on the terms of this war, this sort of stuff, I have that much of a, a substantive even value difference with John. So I just, I wanted to put that out there. No, we don't, we don't think that you and John are that far no. apart I, yeah. I think he he would tend to defend the groups that you've been attacking but you guys are just i would say barely on either side of the center okay but, uh, i don't know if I, I don't know if some of the stuff i said was that much on the center but you know in general uh, i agree I, yeah, in, in terms of in, ter- in terms of the core of what you're saying i think that's true the um how, how do you think the end of war compares to um better angels it's a much thinner book. It's basically a polemic. Um, the the part that's scientifically persuasive is the particular critique of demonic males, which is a very influential book. It, a lot of the stuff in End of War actually overlaps in substance with Better Angels. Yeah, there's there's a few assumptions that differ, and there's emphases that differ. 
But I don't think they're that different. And that's a, I think a lot of people are frustrated with John about that because they're like, what are you trying to say that's that different? Like, what are you trying to say? Because you think war is bad. You have a particular values vision you want to impose on the world, you know, as if your view is better, just like Stephen. Like, that's what Pinker's criticized as, you know. You're trying to impose this Western, Whiggish, modernist view. Well, yeah, because, well, war sucks, conflict sucks, and it's better to be peaceful and have capitalist exchanges or whatever, you know, like, have, like, arguments and debates. So I, I, I like the end of war. I think the part on demonic males was good. It, that could be a pamphlet in and of itself. Substantively, that's persuasive. A lot of the other stuff, I'm just like, what are you trying to say, John? Because a lot of this I agree with, and then, like, you arrange it in this weird way where I'm like, uh, okay, oh, oh, wait, you, you just lost me. I gotta reread that, you know? So... <laughs> Hey, my baby just woke up. I've got to go. Got to okay. go grab him. I really it appreciate your time, Rosie. It was incredibly informative. I hope that you will join us again sometime. On behalf of the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast, this is Damien wishing you all a very blessed week. The Oklahoma Atheist Godcast is produced by the Oklahoma Atheists. The mission of the Oklahoma Atheists is to develop a community of individuals and families who value and promote critical thinking, free thought, reason, and a scientific worldview, and who seek to have a positive effect on the community at large through fellowship, rational discussion, community service, and education. For more information, please visit our website at www.oklahomaatheist.com. The music for today's show is from the song God is Dead by Jaron Lake and is reproduced here under a Creative Commons license. Jared's music in the Oklahoma Atheist Godcast are hosted courtesy of the Internet Archives Community Audio Collection, available at www.archive.org. To join discussion about the ideas presented in today's show, please visit our blog at blog.oklahomaatheist.com.